0: Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development Speaker Series podcast. I am Ana Alvarez, and this week, we are joined by Philippe Aguillon, who is a professor at Collège de France at INSEAD and at the London School of Economics. I'm sitting down with Professor Aguillon after his appearance at the CID Speaker Series event on Rethinking Capitalism Post-COVID, The Power of Creative Destruction, on September 17, 2021. Welcome, Professor, and thank you for joining us. As background for our audience, Professor Philippe's research focuses on the economics of growth. He particularly centers on analyzing the design of growth policies and the role of the state in the growth process. His recently published book, The Power of Creative Destruction, draws on theory and evidence to examine some of today's most fundamental economic questions, including the roots of growth and inequality, competition and globalization, technological revolutions, and secular stagnation. Today, we will discuss those insights in the post-COVID context and how to rethink the future of capitalism. So in uh, your research, you focus a lot on the concept of creating destruction, Professor. And in particular, how this is a force uh, driving innovation. Could you walk us through this concept and how does it come into play in the current economic context?
1: Yes, thank you very much. And also, creative destruction was a concept introduced by Joseph Schumpeter to refer to the fact that innovations make existing technologies obsolete. New innovations replace old technologies. So the new replaces the old. And uh, that's a, a crucial uh, uh, element, because it means that you have a contradiction at the heart of the growth process. On the one hand, you need uh, innovation rants to reward innovators. Okay? You know, we, when we innovate, we get rants. So that's what motivates people to pursue innovation. But on the other hand, innovators are tempted to use those rants to prevent subsequent innovation, because they don't want themselves to be uh, victims you know, creative destruction is the, a concept introduced by Joseph Schumpeter to referring to the fact that new innovation displaces old technology, the new replaces the old. But that means that at the heart of the growth process, there is a contradiction. On the one hand, you need innovation runs to motivate innovation, the people innovate because they pursue innovation runs. But on the other hand, they are very tempted to use those ones To prevent subsequent innovation because they don't want themselves to be victims of creative destruction and regulating capitalism it's all about how to manage this contradiction and 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 the book my book the the power of creative destruction through our book this contradiction runs through if you want to understand the relationship between innovation and inequality if you want to understand secular stagnation if you want to understand middle income traps if you want to understand the interplay between competition and innovation, uh, on all those things, this contradiction is at the heart.
0: Thank you, Professor. That's very interesting. Yeah. But first, can you describe how does this idea of creating destruction help us think about economic growth, which is, like I think, the most important and the most pressing issue that your book talks about? And in particular, how can we think about the lack of convergence across countries uh, in terms of economic That's right. growth?
1: Exactly. So, for example, uh, it's very interesting that if you want, for example, you want to understand why you have secular stagnation in the U.S., why is it that in spite of the artificial intelligence and IT revolution, growth is declining in the U.S.? you know the reason, mainly? And we explained that in Chapter 6 of our book. is because during the IT revolution, you had superstar firms emerging. Google, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, you know, Walmart, these firms. First, they they boosted growth when they spread, but then they invaded all sectors of the economy. And what happened is that when they invaded all sectors of the economy, they stifled innovation by other firms. And and that's again, that's really what I was saying before. The innovators of yesterday tends to stifle innovation by potential new ones. And so, what we need in, in the U.S. to to uh, uh, to, to boost growth again is to have good competition policy. You need to adapt competition policy to the digital era. You need a competition policy when you decide whether or not to allow new mergers and acquisitions. You should take into account the effect that these mergers will have on subsequent and and innovation. So far, competition policy is very much driven by market definition and market share, not so much by which effect will, will a merger have on subsequent innovation. That's on the circular stagnation. On the convergence, you have some countries that you know start converging towards the development level of advanced countries, and they stop in the middle. And they stop in the middle because you see what happens is that during the catching up phase, you have some uh, conglomerates that develop, some big firms, and those big firms, not, uh, they block not only new entry of firms, but they block also the necessary transition Towards institutions that are good for frontier growth. You see, there are several ways of growing. You can grow through catching up, or you can grow through frontier innovation. And the institutions that are good for catching up are not the same as the ones which are good for growing at the frontier. If you are about growth at at the technological frontier, you need more competition, for example. Well, what happened in countries like Korea or Japan is that during the catching up period, some big conglomerates developed, that blocks somehow the necessary introduction of more competitive policies or more open policies. You see that would foster innovation at the technological level. And so that again is the same syndrome: the innovators of yesterday block new growth, but they block not only because they block new entry, but also because they block the, the transition to uh, uh, institutions that are good. innovating at the frontier that are good for an innovation which is driven not so much by catching up but more by frontier innovation.
0: That's definitely something that resonates a lot and I think particularly in the sense of for instance now that we have big tech companies so previously we have telecom companies that were uh, had a lot of market power and now with these disruptive, disruptive technologies we're looking at different kind of Market power and big players. Yeah. So, uh, this really highlights the relevance of policies and policymakers' job in terms of uh, competition. As you mentioned in your book, this creative destruction can also be leveraged to assess economic policies. In yes. particular, let's focus on climate change. How yeah. can we think about this pressing challenge and how can we assess policies using the creative destruction approach?
1: So, first thing, some people believe that the way to solve climate change chance is to have negative growth, but that's not true. So uh, there was a very interesting natural experiment. When we had the first lockdown in France last year, uh, between March and June 2020, GDP went down by 30%, 3-0. CO2 emissions went down by only 8%. So it shows that negative growth is not the way to get a reduction in CO2 emissions as we want. We need green innovation. Green innovation is innovation that gets you towards clean technology, that technology that don't generate CO2 emissions. So now the problem is that firms, and that's what we explain in chapter nine of the book, uh, uh, incumbent firms that innovated in the past in dirty technology, they uh, spontaneously they keep innovating in dirty technology. For example, in the automotive industry, firms that innovated. In combustion engine technology, they will keep on innovating on combustion engine. So, spontaneously, incumbent firms will not innovate. So, that has a first indication, is that creative instruction should help you because if you bring new firms, they don't have this past dependence problem because there was no yesterday. You see what I mean? So, if you bring new firms, they don't face this, what do I call, past dependence problem. So, that's the first thing. Creative really a good thing for innovation. The second thing is that when dealing with incumbent firms, the state can play a role in redirecting technical terms towards clean inno- uh, innovation. How you do that, carbon price, and also subsidy to clean R&D, and industrial policy towards you know, clean technology. That's very important. But also what we explain is that consumers can play a role. In particular, in countries where consumers have a preference for climate. There, they will push firms to innovation. And it's not the road that they play. And in countries like that competition is very important because when you have a country where consumers worry about the environment, competition among firms will push them to cater to the consumer. If I was in a, in a country where consumers worry about the environment, but there is no competition. I am a monopoly. I don't care because the consumers they have no choice but by purchasing from me, but if I am in an environment where consumers worry about the environment, and I have a competitor, if I don't innovate clean, in, the competitor will innovate. In. And so you can see how the conjunction of preference, social preferences for the environment and product market competition can be very important, a lever to induce firms to innovate be, as much as the carbon price, as much as, you know, something innovation. So we discuss all that in the chapter nine. And you can see the role for the firm that innovate, the state, and the civil society, which by which I mean, consumers, shareholders, uh, green finance, they have a in inducing green innovation.
0: Yeah, definitely bringing together all the stakeholders is key to continue working towards a greener uh, economic growth. And in that line, continuing now with capitalism, That's a huge topic now. Even before COVID, capitalism had been increasingly challenged across the globe. Uh, While some advances have been achieved in some fronts, we are still a long way to go in crucial issues such as poverty, health, and inequality. In your view, does this mean that we should be trying to abandon capitalism?
1: Or what approach
0: should policymakers must take in order to ensure that innovation is leveraged towards current economic challenges?
1: I think the way is not unique capitalism because capitalism is what generates innovation if you look at the big innovation they occurred with capitalism the, the the takeoff of growth and that's what we explained in chapter two of the book came up with the with the the coming of capitalism you see the history of capitalism coincides with the history of growth growth is started in 1820 in england and france and the u.s all of them are capitalist countries and if you look at the big innovation they all were made in capitalism because that's Capitalism is where you have firms, private, you know, and where you have this protection of property rights on innovation. You you need a system where you have freedom to innovate and where property rights on innovations are protected. And capitalism is that system. The problem is to make capitalism human-based. And uh, it's true that the COVID crisis revealed the extent to which the social model in the US is broken. And so the US needs to improve their social model and to have a capitalism which is better. For example, creative destruction, it doesn't have a human face in the US. We, uh, we discussed that in chapter 11 of the book. Uh, you know, there is the work of Anne Case and Angus Deaton showing, in particular, the white non-Hispanics 50 years before the mortality has gone up a lot recently because you know they suffer from the stress of losing employment. You know, the fear to lose your job. In the US, when you lose your job, you lose income, you lose status. You lose access to uh, health insurance, family decomposes, and that's why you have the stress, the, you know, the opioid consumption, the obesity, and all that. And that's not good, you don't want that. And uh, uh, what's very interesting is that Denmark has found a system to avoid the pitfalls of creative destruction. They invented flex security. Flex security means when you lose your job in Denmark, for two years, you get 90% of your salary, and the state helps you find a new job and retrain you and that system did that in denmark and uh, we mentioned the work by our colleague alexandra roulet in denmark when you lose your job it has zero negative effect on health you don't increase consumption of uh, sleeping pills of opioids or mortality doesn't go up you, there is no uh, increase in the probability of consulting for uh, cardiovascular disease. They found a system that accommodates structure, and gives it a human face. And more generally, Scandinavian countries show that you can have a capitalist system which is inclusive and protective, and that's very important. So that, that shows that it can be done. Although know, U.S. is a very innovative, but not very protective and very inclusive. And we want the innovation that you have in the U.S. with the protection and inclusiveness you have in Europe. And it's interesting because Denmark has implemented some reforms that made Denmark both more innovative and more protective energy. And so that's, that shows the way. More flex security, more education, more competition. The, all those policies will make you more innovative and more innovative.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something to think about. And I think policymakers are continuously learning. Shared experiences as well are something that we can contribute to and we have to foster. Overall, I think this is a very insightful book that uses creative destruction as a, generation of, as a generator of growth that can be sustainable, inclusive, as you mentioned, and green. Uh, any future projects that you're working on right now and that you can share with us?
1: Look, I, am, you know, I, am, I, I continue to work you know, on green innovation. For example, uh, with some colleagues, we try to show you know, there is what we call structural change. We have a whole chapter in the book on structural change. We go from agriculture to industry and then services. And services are much less polluting than industry. So what we would like to do is to see whether, you know, uh, developing countries in Africa or elsewhere could go directly from agriculture to services, bypass mass industrialization. That would be a way to reduce CO2 emissions worldwide. So the how, under you know, which condition, can you help those countries bypass the mass industrialization step and move directly from agriculture to service led growth? Uh, if we achieve that, that would be a major tool to limit CO2 emissions, because those countries have the right to develop. So they could say, wait, wait, why do you deny the right to develop? And so far, the only way to develop was to go through this phase of mass industrialization, like we did in the West, or like China is doing, or like India is doing. But the pollution is terrible, and the CO2 emission is terrible when those countries go. So the, the whole challenge now is to find a way to get new uh, other emerging countries to move directly to services or very quickly to services go so that CO2 emissions will remain under control. I think that's a big, so that's a project I'm really very excited, uh, very excited by. Yeah.
0: That's, that's really interesting, and we look forward to listening more uh, about these projects and the results that you get. Thank you so much for that. Well, thanks to Philly for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development Research and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for
1: listening, and we'll see you back next week.